You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2020 film, Worth. So before we uh, get into the plot of the film, since this film has just come out on Netflix, it's a pretty new film, I want to stress that we are spoiling the film, so if anybody wants to see the film and they haven't yet... Uh, we will spoil it, so maybe watch the film first before uh, listening yeah. to the show. Yeah, and so it, this follows um, Ken Feinberg. Um, he is a lawyer that specializes in compensation, Do and it. he has a partner, Camille Byros, and they they specialize in compensation for victims. And this takes place in 2001. One day he is on the train. He is going by the Pentagon. And he sees the aftermath of the plane explosion. It's September 11th. Yeah. And it's now it's the aftermath of 9-11. And now there is this thing about not, uh, vic, uh, compensation for vic people who have been affected yeah. by 9-11. The, the thing here is the federal government is setting up a victim's compensation fund for everybody, uh, all, all affected families in the Twin Towers, uh, the Pentagon, and Shanksville, uh, those, those survivors. And the, and the reason they're doing that, as stated in the film, and this is actually, it was the case, I think we have to remember the, the economic impact those events had. And there was a significant downturn in the economy that it took us a while to climb back out of it uh, from those events. Um, so they set up, the federal government set up this comp- compensation fund to lessen the economic impact of those days because uh, they saw that there was a risk that if 7,000 people um, uh, sued, uh, as they stated in the film, the the airline industry that could have ramif- depending on how much uh, uh, how much uh, this would be tied up in court and how much eventual payouts might be or settlements might be, uh, it would have a very significant impact on the economy. So they made a strategic decision to set up a compensation fund for those people and Mr. Feinberg's unenviable task was to uh, be what they called the special master Uh, in in essence his team was the special master and these were people that were supposed to figure out what would be adequate compensation for uh, these victims so that's important to point out with, with, with yes. the synopsis here. And the thing is, they have to get at least 80% of these people to agree to sign on for this compensation fund. They feel if anybody less than this lawsuit is pending and the 
government could lose this yes. lawsuit. So they need the eighty percent to get past this. No, it wasn't necessarily the government would lose the lawsuit at all. No, uh, the but the, the, the victims would be taking the airlines. The, the airlines would lose, so they would, would lose, and then you have those ramifying effects on the economy from uh, uh, several several airlines biting the dust. Right, yes. and it's kind of interesting. You 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 see. Uh, kind of a give and take in the film that uh, again reflects the reality of the situation back in 2001. Some people had a more cynical view of why the fund was set up. It was just simply to protect the corporations, and there, there wasn't any any true concern for the large scale ramifying effects upon the economy should these lawsuits uh, uh, be undertaken. Uh, and you see that uh, reflected in, in some of the opinions of uh, some of the characters in the film. Um, mm-hmm. So very accurate portrayal of of the raw nerves that were opened up by this uh, uh, terrible event in American history. Yeah, and we see so um, Feinberg takes the role with his with his team. And they sort of brainstorm and outline sort of this idea of what they need to do and thing is Feinberg we see in the opening scene which takes place before 9-11 he's a teacher and he kind of talks about what is a human life worth and he says but this is not a philosophy class this is like literally how much money and he does this fake uh, Uh, a role playing yeah a role playing thing right you're you know this guy's a farmer he he gets killed in a tragic tractor accident the family sues the company that runs the tractors right you know they have a mock debate like is it two million is it three million you settle for two and a half and yeah and it's interesting you know he does have them uh role playing and the uh the survivor of the uh farmer who had died um agrees to a monetary amount of two and a half million so he's trying to get them to think like don't think as far as morality or ethics more as just the the number on the dotted line, yeah, you know, right? And he sort of in the beginning when he, they're first starting this, he starts looking at it like that, yeah. And he kind—it's of, his first sort of wake-up call is when he has that first press conference, and he's still, you know, when he's addressing the victims, the families of the people who've been affected by this, and his language and talking about this, and you know, he says we're the biggest game in town, and they're very offended by what he's yeah. saying, and which yeah. was true. He was even he admits that yep. when he was starting out, this people were effect- extremely. Like he was saying he yeah. was insensitive, and in the same meeting, a guy who originally tries to calm people down is like, well, let's just hear him out. He meets him later on, and finds out this man's name is Charles Wolf. Yes. And even though he was sort of helping him out at that press conference, Wolf is his biggest critic. He yeah, starts I, a website called Change the, or Fix the Fund. Fix the Fund. And, and Charles his, Wolf is also a lawyer. Yes, and yeah. his wife was in the World Trade Center when it was attacked. Yeah. And he was a face. He says, I find your plan offensive. And he's the big uh, opponent in the movie against yeah. him. And you can see other on how he tries to even. Uh, Donato, a firefighter whose brother was killed and after the towers collapsed, when they first meet, even he's sort of insensitive because he says, well, did you break your leg? You know, my son broke his leg playing football or whatever. Yeah. He doesn't realize I sustained this wound during 9-11. Right. And 
he's he he is uh, uh, amazingly inept and insensitive at be, at the beginning, and you can see uh, it's a very interesting story arc with him because you you, you can see a, a change uh, uh, at the at the beginning when he's when he's uh, talking about. Uh, compensation and the kind of um, negotiations that go into settlements. At some point, he says, there's a quote that's repeated back to him um, by Quinn, who is another yet another lawyer in this story later on. But he, he says, uh, what, what we're trying to, and this is not an exact quote, but uh, fair is not what we're aiming for. We're aiming here for an agreement. Right, and that's not the exact quote. I'm not getting it right. Um, and, you know, he's not... He, let's not um, uh, give a mistaken impression here. He's, he's not cynical and uncaring. He volunteers to do this job. Yeah, without uh, any pay. Without any pay, uh, because he thinks he needs to do something for the country. But he approaches it in the way that he is used to as a trial lawyer or as a lawyer that has to do these kinds of negotiations and compensation cases. And he's approaching it in a way that is very similar to the way that insurance companies approach such things. We even see them uh, acquiring actuarial tables uh, at the beginning of the process. And he's saying, we have to come up with a simple formula. We've got 7,000 people here we're trying to get compensation for. It's simply unrealistic to uh, treat each case individually. We have to come up with a formula. The formula has uh, the income that the person had been generating in their lives, right? Uh, uh, times a factor, the, the, the number of dependents they have, and so forth. Insurance companies do this kind of thing all the time. Um, but what we see is very interesting tension in the case between that almost economic view of the victims and the more uh, uh, human view of the victims. And there's a tension within the staff. He's saying this is the only way we can do this, just in terms of economy of effort and time uh, we have to treat it in this way with this this one uh, universal formula that will apply to all cases and people on his own staff say no 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 no. especially after they start interviewing the victims you have to treat each case individually Priya Kundi is a great example of that because she admits you know I'm not disinterested I would have been in that building right but she's also one-to-one uh, in interviews with, with these people. And so are other people on the staff. But not Feinberg in the beginning. Not Feinberg at be- the <laughs> beginning. And he's saying, I have to keep my distance. I have, to, I have to maintain objectivity so that we can get a fair number for, for these people and uh, actually get the job done. Because as tempting as it is to get pulled into each individual case, it's not feasible to do that in the time required because they have a deadline to meet. It's about two, two and a half years after the attacks. And uh, they have to, like you said, get 80% of the victims. If they do not do this, the project is a failure. Lawsuits will probably go forward. Economic uh, um, uh, ramifications will be forthcoming. 
Yeah, and it is interesting, like you said, at the beginning, they hear these stories, but you realize how different everyone's stories is, and then it sort of adds all these confusions. One of the big um, sort of stories they focus on is the case of Graham Morris. Now, Morris was in a same-sex relationship. Yeah. Now, at that time, there was no marriage, so he was. They're not. So there was yeah. a civil union, but that doesn't have the same ramifications that a uh, husband and wife have. Right. So under that, even though he's not entitled to any compensation, even though they've been together for a number of years, yeah. And the compensation would instead go to his parents, who apparently have been estranged, estranged from him because of yeah. the fact that he's gay. So. In that situation, it's hard to, like, how exactly do you do that? Right. And another situation that's sort of bring up was Nick Donato. And yep. we find out later on that he had two, you know, he's been married for a number of years, had a couple of kids. He was having an affair with this other woman, a mistress, and he had two children out of wedlock with her. Right. And so there's this case of the... They're threatening to sort of bring this situation to yeah. light, but the her, the kids he had out of wedlock need the same protection. So yes. it is like all these different, each individual, he's learning that each individual story is different. And that's when he starts going, attending these, these uh, people Interviews. in the conference room and listening yeah. to them. Right. And uh, the case of Donato is particularly compelling because he is a firefighter that died in mm-hmm. in one of the one of the twin towers and he was on site with his brother Frank and uh, Frank knew about Nick's mistress and the two daughters that he had with them and he he elected to keep that secret and uh he would give cover stories to Nick's wife whenever he would be out with this other woman and this uh, lawyer calls Feinberg. We only hear him on the phone, Mr. Cuthbert. And he is representing uh, uh, the mistress and the two kids. And he says, you know, if you don't tell them, I will, but they deserve compensation too. Very sticky situation, very realistic situation. And Feinberg comes to the conclusion that those two kids do deserve the compensation because they too, even though it's, completely outside of wedlock and so forth, that they too will be impacted and they're innocent victims by the loss of uh, Nick. So he has to make the decision on whether to do this. He is forced to get personal with Frank. At first he didn't want to, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, he and Frank have a conversation. The wife actually overhears it. And then what's really compelling and really a testament to her character is... Later in the film, after there had uh, uh, he's kind of had that turn and the momentum's really working toward the success of this uh, the project of getting eighty percent of people to sign on. Um, Mrs. Donato comes, and she has signed the form. She had not been interested in the money in the first place. She just wanted to get her husband's story in the report, and Feinberg couldn't even promise that. But by this time in the story, she's decided the correct thing to do is to make sure those two kids have compensation because she had known all along what he had been doing. And she had had incredible restraint and and a strong character and realized 
if I confront him with this, if we divorce, whatever it is, the case may be, that's going to have terrible effects, not only on our kids, their two sons, but those two daughters. So she elected to keep it secret, and she also elected to sign, that comp- sign up for the compensation for the benefit of the kids. Tremendous character. And as we see later on with his arc, things start changing because early on they're way far behind. But at the end, the main thing is he's because Wolf, he meets with them. They butt heads a lot. But yeah. at the end, his fund, his website, Fix the Fund, he changes it to the fund is fixed. And he yeah. encourages everybody that I've wor- he's gotten a lot better. He's worked with us. He's talked with all of us. And I encourage you all to sign up for it. Now, at, near the deadline, they make it to 97%, so practically almost everybody. But yeah. unfortunately, for not everybody that gets the happy ending, unfortunately, Graham Morris, yeah. he did not get the compensation part yeah. of that fund. But yeah. it's interesting because when I first heard about this movie without knowing the specific details, I figured it was going to be continuous, not just close off at that two years after, because... It's still the 9-11 first responders bill. That's what I, that's originally what I was thinking about, which is not necessarily about families, yeah. like people who were in the World Trade Center, but specifically about the firefighters and policemen who died yeah. or suffered still health effects due to 9-11. Right. And that's still something that goes on to this day. I know famously was really brought up about 10 years ago, uh, John Stewart, who ran The Daily Show. I know he was very vocal, yeah. making sure that these firefighters and uh, policemen got the compensation there's still a fight going on today saying well it's good for this amount of years or this amount of years and they're saying like no this needs to be permanent for the rest of their lives i think there were there was in terms of uh choices here for the film i think if they tried to take the story here into 2021 Mm -hmm. it would have been Mm -hmm. i think it would have been too too much to bite off because you have multiple funds multiple individuals involved not just um, Ken Feinberg, uh, so it would have become, I think, too cumbersome a movie. Um, so, but they made sure to give you clear indications in the deliberations between Feinberg and some of the other lawyers. Uh, they gave you clear indications that these are things that they had to think about. Right, they have mm-hmm. these great debates. Well, where do we cut off? Where's the where's the line that we cut off? Do we have do we do we have to also cover people that are getting lung diseases from working in uh, uh, the asbestos ridden uh, hole that was left uh, uh, by the by the collapse? And as you say, uh, over the years, um, yes, they are being compensated, and yes, there have been arguments about it, but. Uh, again, the an, uh, an indication of the tremendously ramifying effects of, of, of this uh, this terrible event, and uh, an indicator of the complexity involved when you try to balance uh, 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 utility against justice. Um, and I think the I think the movie does a good job of teeing that up as a as a hot you know uh item of discussion it's very good very well done 
Yeah, and what's interesting reading about this, you kind of, like, for example, we talked about 1776, and we pointed out, like, how this part and this guy's not really as bad as they've shown. Doing a little bit of research, it seems, for the most part, that this movie is pretty accurate. Yeah. Like I said, Feinberg was considered by many people at the beginning to be very insensitive. Charles Wolfe was a real guy. He did start this website. He was very critical of Feinberg, but eventually he did change the website to the fund is fixed, and they he won him over. And Wolfe is still a guy who he's still active today and still people, remembering people for 9-11 and about victims' compensation and making sure yeah. the first responders. And interesting reading, um, his wife is one of the first names on the plaques of the 9-11 memorial. Yeah. and. Yeah. I think he go. I don't know how frequently he does it, but he goes there a certain number of time and kisses where her name is. That's neat. And Feinberg's involved too. I mean, now he has become the go-to guy. He and his partner uh, Camille Byros are now the go-to people for setting up these kinds of compensation funds. And a very interesting, more recent one has to do with the uh, Boeing seven thirty seven Max. Uh, issues. Uh, it's a long, complicated story, but basically, um, this was a design of an aircraft uh, with very large nacelles located up toward the front of these wings, and these would cause um, uh, interesting or perilous stalls at certain key uh, points in a flight or a takeoff or a landing. Uh, well, Boeing had two of these aircraft go down. And uh, it came out and in the process of investigating this thing that uh, they did not behave appropriately in terms of uh, oversight with design and design quality assurance and, and research. And there was even some uh, uh, shenanigans with the FAA in terms of their oversight. Uh, they were careless in ways. So funds were set up for the victims of those crashes. And guess who they put in charge because mm-hmm. of his experience with this? And the list is long. And another thing I like about the film is it, it closes with a partial list of the uh, uh, comp, uh, victims' compensation funds he has run. So yes. he, he's, he's really turned into quite uh, not only a competent uh, administrator of this kind of thing, but clearly one that's got a great deal of empathy, sympathy, and gets the job done to everybody's satisfaction. Yeah, and the two other most notable things he's been involved in outside of 9-11 was the BP oil disaster in 2010 and the Virginia Tech shootings back in 2007. And what's one thing that it, it's not quite the point of this movie, but they were talking, especially Nick Donato's brother, he was talking about faults in the World Trade Center design. Uh, not the World Trade Center design, but he was talking about somehow actions that their policemen are taking when they are in high rise. I mean, firemen oh, are taking that. Out. Actually, uh, I had to watch that twice too. It doesn't have anything to do with the towers itself. It had to do with suboptimal radio equipment. Okay, that's what it was. And interestingly, he had been he he and his fellow firefighters had been telling the New York Fire Department over and over again. Look, when we get into these high rise buildings, these damn radios don't get out of the building. We've got to do something about this. And they didn't. And as a result, uh, uh, the, the men inside the buildings, when they collapsed, did not hear messages that told them to get the hell out of there. Right? So there's another possibility of, of lawsuits right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the 
the survivors of the firemen who perished could have sued the uh, New York uh, Fire Department, New York City government. Uh, uh, I don't know if they have, but they could have, yes. And it was, you know, once again, this also part is not really the point of the movie, but we were talking about the lawsuits with the airlines, because I'm assuming all those planes were part of United, weren't they? There was an American, too. Okay. Yeah. So with those airlines, how exactly would the suing would they say? Because were they saying that somehow they could have prevented uh, stopping the terrorists? or, or Speculative on my lack part. safety measures? Lack security. Because um, I know the big thing yeah. was, which they've changed since 9-11, is the access, or the access to the cockpit, right? Yes, that uh, and uh, uh, security checkpoints. They, there could have been lawsuits about them being too lax. Um, after all, these guys did carry weapons on the planes that enabled them to do what they did. Um, knives and box cutters, right? So, uh, yeah, that, the, that was the tricky bit here. I mean, there were grounds for suit. I mean, unfortunately, in, in a situation like this, you can't sue the people that truly are responsible for it. You would love to be able to sue uh, uh, the Afghan Taliban, Right, mm-hmm. you'd love to sue the elements of Saudi Arabia that were involved. You'd love to sue Pakistan for their uh, uh, involvement with Al Qaeda, harboring these guys, giving them safe havens. But you're not going to be able to do that. So people do have to go to their, as it were, the secondary uh, uh, targets of lawsuits, and that would be uh, the domestic airlines. So. Tricky bit, and and I think Feinberg is correct in pointing out that there is a certain amount of justification for that if the security measures were, in fact, lax, not sufficient, and they did not uh, adequately prepare for uh, uh, in-flight hijackings, right, by closing the doors up front. Um, That's all true. That's all true, but he also, I think, rightly pointed out that these kinds of lawsuits, even if successful, will take a very long time, and often they are not successful because you have to you have to you have to prove a relatively high level of negligence in order to get uh, the compensation. So it's no sure deal, and. These will also tie up the airlines in ways that could negatively impact the economy. Once again, a kind of cold and utilitarian way of looking at it, but it is true. So to the, I think to the credit of the federal government back then, they realized all this. And this was a, a unique and extreme situation, and they happened to pick the right guy to do it. I mean, he was not a, a cynical um lawyer at heart, even though he found himself playing that role sometimes in in actual trials. I, I love that conversation he has with Wolf, where he says, you're going to talk to Quinn, right? He says, yeah. Okay, now here's what he's going to do. He's going to coach you up. He's going to make you make sure, make sure your tear comes out at the right time, etc., etc. You want to know how I know this? Because he is me. I would do the same thing cynical classic picture of the cynical manipulative lawyer right so later in the film 
after everything has been resolved. All of these people are showing up to his office to sign up at the very last minute. Guess who's there? Wolf. He, he goes up to him and he says, you, you know you were wrong about Quinn. And Feinberg says, you mean he didn't try to coach you? He said, no, no, no. You're not like him. I loved that scene. I love that scene. And it completes his arc. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not necessarily a complete, as it were, change of character. That was always in Feinberg. He's not Quinn. And Quinn is the quintessential, you might want him on your side in a trial guy, but in terms of the moral core of the man, he is just simply a cynical manipulator. Yeah. And it really comes out well. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. There you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, where each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying so long, and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.